Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kerland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And Dominique, you're, you're in the middle of a cold, so we really appreciate you joining us today. So if you're coughing, everyone will, will totally understand. And of course, you're probably madly contagious, but not not via the internet. So that's right. We can all enjoy your company and hope you've got a nice warm cup of tea and a fire nearby or some way to stay warm. And we'll we'll just have a nice conversation. I'm back from Clicker Expo. I had a phenomenal time. And of course, I'm always, when I get back from Clicker Expo, sleep deprived. So when somebody says, so what did you learn or who did you listen to? You think, um, um, uh, oh, head like fuzz. But it was, it was, it was a really, really enjoyable event. And one of, one of the fun things I shouldn't, probably shouldn't share for the people who are going to be at the next expo. But we did a presentation on loopy training that was just a blast to do. It was one of the team taught presentations. I saw that on the board. It looked amazing. It was it was just fun. So I was I led it. So I did the overall design of how we were going to present it. And because it's loopy training, we presented it in loops. So we each had five minutes, okay. which was an interesting thing in the planning to say to, especially to say to, well, to say to any of us, really, you have five minutes and you have to really stick to it. Actually, we had seven or eight. But if you say five and then it expands to seven, you're okay. But if you say 10 and it expands to 12 or 15, you run out of time. But just for, for people uh, to know, you have like the best heads of uh, the f- you, can you name the people who were on this board? We had uh, Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz and Michelle Pudeau and Eva Burson and Emily Johnson-Bay. So really fun. And so we each took a different aspect of loopy training. Mm-hmm. And I, would, I did the intro, got through my five minutes. The next person was Michelle. So the, I, I brought the subject around to the topic she was going to talk on. Michelle spoke for five or six minutes, and then Emily and Eva had uh, their round, and then Jesus did his round on the science, and then it was back to me, and it was just so much fun to do a presentation that way. And do you think that, because loopy training has become so central to everything, is there still new things to say about it? Oh, absolutely. And I think having the four presentation really began to highlight some of the, I want to say, I don't want to say new ways, but the the beautiful complexity mm-hmm. that comes into the simplicity of it. That when you really start to look at your training within the loop and you see all the different 
I'll call them segments of the loop. So Michelle at first was looking at reinforcement strategies, mm -hmm. which are so powerful. And when you think about, all right, I'm going to click and treat. So I'm going to give my animal, my learner, whether it's a dog or in my case, a horse or a goat or whatever you're working with, I'm going to give this learner some form of reinforcement, maybe a food treat. Mm -hmm. And I could just willy-nilly hand it over uh, as quickly as I can without really giving any thought to it. Or I can be really thoughtful about how I place that food reinforcer mm -hmm. so that it enhances, it, it reinforces, it contributes to the flow of the circle. So one of the really clever things that Michelle does, she does freestyle. Mm -hmm. And she showed a video clip of teaching this really cool pose that her dogs can give. It's The dog is sitting, and then she holds out her hand, and the dog puts his paw in her hand. And then he stretches up and back so that his head... Oh, I've seen that. That's her springer, right? Very dramatic and a really great way to start a performance. I think she did it, she does it in addition to her springer, she did it with some of her other dogs. And I think she started her Phantom of the Opera routine right. in that pose. But I could be, I could be mixing images, but it's very dramatic. And it's such a clever way that she has of shaping it. So she uses a, a food learner initially mm -hmm. to get the dog to look up at her hand, and that's mm -hmm. fine, that's standard. We would all understand that. But then when she clicks and reinforces, she makes sure that she puts the food, she's got the dog sitting in front of her, I think it was her, her dryer. And so when she clicked and reinforced, she reached up, to the dryer where she had the food okay. and fed him from there. So his attention is all back behind him once she has clicked. So then he does the behavior again and the food is behind him, mm. essentially up on a shelf, so that she reaches behind him. And he, of course, is interested to know, you know, where where is the food coming from? And so he tracks her hand and and it just further enhances the behavior. And there are all kinds of places in training, whether you're training a horse or a dog or some other kind of animal, there are all kinds of places where that thoughtful, thoughtful placement of the food really makes a difference. You know, it's funny because I've been experimenting a lot in the past few weeks with different reinforcement strategies because there are different things, you know how I like liberty, and there are things I wanted to do more at a distance, and I wanted to experiment with treat tossing. So uh, in the manège, because there's sand in the arena, I've been tossing treats. I, I bought these big bowls at the um, dollar store, uh -huh. like really big with high high lids, different colors, and I throw, I throw the treats like let's say I'll have a horse come up on a platform I'll I'll reinforce him there but then I will in order to reset I will also throw 
the treats in the bowl. Okay. And it's something that you have to teach them because yes. they wouldn't automatically track, the, especially our horses. The dogs, I guess, they're more used to tracking. You know, we troll. You we have troll. to teach food delivery no matter what. I think we. That's right. I think what happens is we forget that the food delivery may already be in repertoire. Like most of the horses I work with, I don't have to teach them how, how to take food from the hand because most of the horses, not all, but most of the horses that I work with have, have been fed from the hand. And so it's in repertoire. But there are horses that I encounter where it's absolutely not. And you have to go through a teaching process. And there's also expectation that comes in because, you know, another thing that I've been experimenting with is, let's say I want my horses to go, again, I'm at liberty. I want them to go on a, an, inima, an imaginary line, okay, between point A and point B. Okay. And so once they've done a few steps, I wanted to reinforce them on that imaginary line, but maybe a step or two farther along the line to keep things moving, you know? And that wasn't good with Bonanza because it frustrated him because he expected the food because I always usually click and treat where you are. You know, you stay there, the food is coming to you and that's how we've always done things. And so when I started doing this, first of all, I decided to use another marker than my usual click and teach just that because I could see his teeth and I didn't like that. So I stopped and I thought, okay, I need to teach him just this procedure that when I say yes, we're going to do a step and there will be food in my hand after that step. I'm not even clicking anything at this point because if I click, he expects food to come to him. But because I want to have that in my pocket as a possibility, now I have this other marker, which is yes, and we're only doing this for now. Yes, I step one or two steps and I give him the food. So if you expect the food at one place and it comes at another, it could create frustration and then you don't have a clean loop because this is where we started, is a clean loop. So working on your reinforcement strategy and making sure that the animal really understands it and is comfortable with it is certainly the beginning of a clean loop because if you don't even have that, why work on the rest of it? That's right, that's right. But he, in his, in his reinforcement history, there would have been times where he would have walked to get to the food. Well, I also like the idea of get, of having different markers because I thought that would, for me, it, it seemed like clearer that, because sometimes I don't want you to move. Remember when you were doing all this work with Tonnerre and how we were at awe at the fact that you were 50 feet away from him and when you clicked him on his platform, you would just stay there yeah. and wait for you to to very casually go to him and give him his food. I like that, that we can have that. You know, you can click a horse, he stays put, he waits, for, he waits for the food. So 
But in other instances, it may be interesting to have a different procedure. And so it's something I'm exploring right 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 now. And I find it quite interesting. And even, you know, the tree tossing at first, I thought, well, I can't do that with a horse. But and, and the fact that there's sand in the arena makes it more complicated. In the barn, it's easier. And in a way, we've been treat tossing. When we do the exit strategy in the box at the end of our sessions and we throw treats either on the rubber, on the floor, or in their um, feet, uh, right. that's treat tossing. Right. But now what I'm trying to do is use this big bowl and change the, you know, Toss it maybe behind him more or on the side because it's a great reset tool. And so how is he doing? Is he catching on? They're all all doing good. You know, I think also it makes a noise. Yes. But you know, if I put the... um, I have to do it gradually because if I take the, um, the ball and I put it too far behind, it, it, it's too soon. It's, it's a process you have to teach. They have to, and, and it becomes a pattern. You know, they know you come up. And I am already, with Woody, I'm already at a point where when he comes up on the platform, I don't even have to treat him on the platform. I'm already tossing in the ball. So I'm both reinforcing and resetting at the same time, which is nice for the rhythm of the session. But I'm, I'm moving that ball so I can toss on either side of the platform or farther away or because I want to expand it. You know, I want to see how far I can take it. It's not something that we've been doing that much with the horses. I know it's something they do a lot with the dogs. You know, they have all these different reinforcement strategies and people have given it different names. What's uh, Kay Lawrence talks about um, breakfast in bed, I think, or room service. Yes, and then she goes shopping. Yeah, things like that. So in, in the dog world, I think they've been experimenting with it quite a lot. But I haven't seen so much in, with with the horses. So it's worth, you know, it's worth looking at. Yes. Yes, it is. I've done a tiny bit of tossing into a bowl, but not too much because my aim's not very good. Well, you need a big bowl. My aim's not very good either. So that's why I got big bowls. I'm not the best person when it comes to throwing, to tossing things. So every time I go in a hardware store, a dollar store or anything like that, I always come back with all this stuff, you know, like one of the balls I, I bought was supposed to be, what do you call it in English, you know, the Christmas wreath or wreath? I don't know how to oh, pronounce right. that. Oh, that's right. Christmas wreath. Yes. Wreath. You have these big plastic things to store them. Oh. Yeah. So I bought that, but I thought it wasn't quite high enough because when the horse come near sometimes there's sand going in and I don't want any sand right, in it. Right, right, right. So anyway, you have to try stuff. I love that kind of shopping though and I <laughs> it's it's such a creative way to think because basically the my idea of a tax store, my favorite tax store is something like the big hardware stores, the Home Depot or Lowe's or or yes, the occasional trip into the dollar store where you walk the aisles looking at, all right, this is designed to do its job, um, its plumbing job or whatever it is. But what I'm looking for something to use with the horses. And so I'm looking for a use that this 
was never intended for. What can what is going to solve what is going to solve the current puzzle? And I just, I love doing that that kind of shopping. Me too. I'm almost compulsive about it. You know, every, almost every time I go in those stores during the Christmas period, I I bought so much stuff. You know the um, the things people use to garden when they want to protect their knees. Oh yes. So oh, yes. They, oh, they make great pads, don't they? They're great pads, and they're also the ones where you actually attach them to your knees. You know, they're like for each individual. Oh, knee. I know what you mean. Yes. And, and so these have like the little um, tie behind and I have railing in the arena and I thought, okay, I want, I want, cause you know, I'm, I, I'd like my horse to station and to recognize their color. Yes. And I thought, oh, I can wrap this around the railing yep. and slowly start introducing the other colors. So I'm constantly buying stuff like that and repurposing them for training. <laughs> And the, the board, the, the board owner is, is really nice because now I have this, I actually have this like big cupboard with all my toys in one part of the arena and it's, it's great. Yes. Oh, that is a nice, that's a very nice owner to let you have a, a toy receptacle because you really do need that when you've clicker trained horses, you have to have the toy covered. I was, I was out shopping yesterday and walked past this big container of, I'm not quite sure how to describe them, but they're sort of round, plastic, hexagonally sorts of things that, that they're hollow and they're soft and squishy. They're dog toys. And, okay. and I, part of me said, plastic, don't buy them. You're, you know, you shouldn't be buying plastic. The planet is overrun with plastic. This is this is not good. And then I thought, well, maybe this is recycled plastic and therefore you could, you could justify it. I don't know. But they are they were a great retrieve, retrieve toy because they're soft and squishy. So, right. so I, I uh, let Robin play with it this morning and he thought it was absolutely super. And then I thought, you know, I really should have gotten two because with two you can do match to sample. So now That's I have strange. to go back and get another one so that I can can collect match to sample objects so you know we do this odd sort of shopping i think both of us with our clicker trained children that the the only the challenge is you have to look at everything thinking is this going to hold up to a horse so if they if they reach down and try and pick it up are they going to crack it if they mm. step on it or step in it will it break in a way that could be dangerous for them. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You always have to be mindful of yeah, safety. Yeah. And and so many of the like the dollar store purchases can they're I mean they're they're not designed for horses, shockingly. They should be, but they're not. Um, <laughs> but there are some I've I've come away with some pretty handy just this is not what these were intended to do, but they certainly are going to be fun to play with. And and certainly Lots of things for the goats because I want to find interesting targets for them. Yeah, that's fun. So, what have you what have you used in terms of target for them so far? Lots of of different uh, the cooking aisles. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have great stuff for targeting. Yes, really good, really good. And when they're not long enough, you can always tape them on something longer. Yes. 
because you have all these colors and textures in the cooking aisles for cleaning or whatever. Cleaning bottles and, yeah. And it, there's a lot of rubber now in, in cooking. The, the sink, the pot scrubbers, things of that sort, yeah. are often, they're often really good colors and really good shapes. And they usually yeah. have a little, a loop on them so that they're easy to hang up. And right. they're different right. shapes, which is really handy, really good. I'm, yeah. I'm having fun now because I'm prepping the goats for science camp. Right. They, they need to have various they need to they need to have a little bit of training when people you want to show, show them off, off a little bit. well i'd like to be able to say something other than well you know i travel a lot and they really don't know anything and and they're they're very cute but they don't know anything i'd like to be a i'd like to be a few steps beyond they really don't know anything so so which is not true well it's sometimes it feels that way but in any event um <laughs> They've been getting playtime when I'm home. They're feeling very deprived right now because I was away this past weekend. So there are five of them, and they do not have identical repertoires, which is kind of interesting. That's part of the fun, that even though I'm teaching along similar lines and I'm teaching similar ages with the three babies and so on, they, they each have a very unique repertoire. And some of it is what has popped out in each individual. So Elian, who's, Elian must now be three or four. So he was, he and Peleus were the two originals. And he's the funniest thing. So when I was teaching him, I taught him to stand on a platform, standard. And then I wanted access to his feet. So I brought out my hoof stand and Elian thought that was really just the bee's knees that he very quickly caught on to if I put my foot up on the hoof stand I get clicked and reinforced and this is great and I'm a goat so I can balance both of my feet up on this and it's oh my god yes both of them so I mean we've all seen we've all seen hook stands it's not a very big target but he stands up there with both both of his front feet on this hook stand and it's sturdy enough oh absolutely absolutely they're very sturdy and Mm. and if he can't quite manage both feet so he'll let one kind of dangle down but and he'll stay (laughs) like that for an extended period of time which I have definitely encouraged the duration. So he's he's there looking very grand with his, his foot balanced on the hoof stand. And then I would go over and do something with Peleus. And then I'd come back to reinforce Ellie. And then I'd go do something with Peleus and come back. So he's he's had both a lot of reinforcement for this. And he's built good duration. And he's generalized it. So if I put Basically, if I put anything in front of him, he will go stand on. He'll he'll step. He'll he'll attempt to step up on it with his front feet, which mm-hmm. is very handy at times. So I've been playing with. I I have some PVC pipe that has that I've been using as barriers, so I can set out two cones and I can hook the PVC pipe on the top of the two cones and. And you get either something that the goats can jump over or something that can channel them along a particular route. 
and and it's winter. I don't have them set out in that way, but I was using them basically as a as a long they telescope, which is very handy. So I can stretch them out and because I don't have anything set out in the barnyard because we're under sort of under snow. I was just having the goats follow the tip of it. So they're sort of lunging around me following the end of this telescoping PVC pipe and they 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 are so funny. They dislike snow, which I find peculiar. Yeah, you too. You said that the other day that they're disgusted by snow. They just think it's horrific. And why why would anybody put this stuff on the ground? And and so we had this snowdrift that was just there was a the main barnyard and then there was a, the snowdrift where the snow had banked up, and it was oh I would say about two feet wide, not very high, but certainly wide. And so Elian is following the, this target around like he's following, like he's being uh, lunged by following the target. And we got to the snowdrift and he jumps it like it's a oh. big oxer. And then he came around okay. and he jumped it again like a big oxer. <laughs> and just because he wouldn't want to actually step in it. That's funny. It's very funny. But when I stopped and the PVC, I just had the, I was holding the PVC pipe. So one so one end was resting in the dirt and so i'm holding it like a staff can you picture that i don't know that word uh like a um, uh staff like a um a, it's just a pole that i'm holding vertically yeah yeah and because it's in front of him elian reached out with his foot oh. and <laughs> put his foot out on the the staff and it was at enough of an angle that he could sort of rest his foot, so I clicked and reinforced that, and then he did it again, and I of course clicked and reinforced that, and then I thought, oh, Spanish walk. So now we're working Ooh, on Spanish yes. walk, and I love, you know, I just this is the fun of training, that the, mm. you know I love how things begin to pop out when they're ready. Mm. I've I've had sitting in the background. Oh, it would be fun to teach the goat's Spanish walk. Of course that mm -hmm. sits in the background, but it's way in the background. It's not, today I'm going to teach the, the goat's Spanish walk. What I love is that when you put these things in repertoire mm -hmm. and they're well cooked and they're ready, they begin to pop out. Mm -hmm. And so now mm -hmm. he presented, you know, he presented the germ of it. I recognized, oh, I could expand it in this way. And so now we just play with that. Now, do I have Spanish walk? Not yet, of course not. But do I have a behavior that will head me in that direction? Absolutely. Is it entertaining both of us? Absolutely. And and that's that's the nature of the training. If I then said, well, let me duplicate this with the other four, I would have no luck at all because they don't have in repertoire that particular step up onto the hoof stand behavior. I would have to build that first. How do you keep track? Do you write it down or you keep all that in your head? I would love to say that I am really good and just, like, still not just like Ken Ramirez, I have chart for each goat and I keep records and as soon as I finish one goat I write down what I just did in that session. I would love to say that but it would be 
uh, if somebody came to the barn and said, show me, I would have to say, oh, I made, I just made that up. So I won't mm-hmm. claim to do that. But hasn't it happened to you that you forgot and then for some reason later, something maybe pops up and you think, oh, that's right, he knew this. Yeah. And, and I, it is fun to track behaviors. It absolutely is. Some of it I track via video. And oh, that's right. You take a lot of video. It's not that I don't value the records. I do. It just I, I just have not made a habit of it. So Well, you know, that's been one big change I made in uh, last year because I started keeping uh, tracks of where the horses were yeah. because they were not all at the same time. And I realized that I forgot between the sessions. And, you know, let's say... I don't know, just a simple example that I'm teaching. And I tend to teach contrary to what you were saying, although they do have specific things they prefer. But it takes time to plan a session. And I tend to come in and think, okay, this is what we're doing today. I take all my props out. And we're going to do the same thing with all three horses. But when I do write my report, I will write, let's say, if we're working on something on duration, that Woody is at so many seconds, Bonanza at so many seconds, because I, I'll forget. Yes. And then I'll, I'll, either I'll make it too easy for one or too difficult for the other one. So I have found that videotaping and, and uh, record keeping has helped me progress last year in my training. Yes. There's no, I, I absolutely would agree with that. And... Mm-hmm. You know, in the uh, in the other my other podcast, Horses for Future, mm-hmm. we've been talking about habits and building habits, yeah. Yeah. and it's really interesting. We were uh, I had a we did an interview with Michaela Hempen, who we've mm-hmm. we've talked to on the Cribbing Project, yeah. and strong habit. Yeah, and well, and I and that's exactly right. And I particularly wanted to talk to bring. Michaela and Amanda Scott together because they're two um, very different repertoires and worlds. But Amanda's interested in helping people to build habits in their own lives. And it's a great topic. It is. It is. Especially in January. (laughs) Yes. Well, yes. Um, But we, we all want, you know, they're all we all have habits we want to get rid of and others that we want to build yeah and we read well of course there's the power of habits which is a great book and then there's oh and i can't i'm drawing a blank on the title of this other book um drawing a blank on it doesn't well it does matter was it gretchen rubens um no because she has, she she wrote a very popular book on changing habits, and her 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 take is that different strategies work for different people, because you know for some people sometimes, for instance, going cold turkey is the way to go, and there you know like when you go to a lake and you want to swim, some people they hate to go one toe, two toes, and then up half the calves, and etc. And then a little bit of water behind the neck. Some people, they want to go in right away. Right. Some other people, they like to do it gradually. In the end, they're both in the lake, but it's just different personalities. And what she's saying is sometimes people fail because 
the strategy they adopt is not doesn't work for their type of personality. It's an interesting book. Well, I'm drawing a blank on this other one, but he was talking about when you want when you want to establish a new habit, you mm. sandwich it between other already established habit patterns, which I mm. thought was very clever. So, yeah, yeah. you know, if if you really enjoy or you have a habit first thing in the morning, you um, I don't know, you, what would you do first thing in the morning that would be a good part of a building habit pattern? You go to the kitchen and turn on the tea kettle or the coffee pot, and then you sit down at the breakfast table with your cup of coffee. Those are two behavior patterns that you have, and so you would insert the new mm. pattern in, you sort of sandwich it in there, so maybe do a few exercises in between. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that, that concept of the sandwiching of behaviors, of the new desired behavior pattern into already well-practiced and established ones, I thought was an interesting approach to the building of new behaviors. <coughs> and that yeah. certainly would apply. There's, there's an application there for our animals for our horses you already have this behavior that you're doing well and you have this other behavior that you're doing well now what could i very sneakily sandwich into the middle Uh, right well you know one thing though that i'm realizing is that i'm spending so much more time now planning my sessions Ah. than i used to because of this you know first of all if if I videotape, I have to watch the video and take notes. And then I put that into my next session. What I, you know, what am I going to do about what I saw? And um, so, yeah, the planning of my session is taking much more time, actually, than, than the actual training. Hmm. But it's making the training much more productive. And when I, when I go in... I know, I know exactly what I'm going to be working on. And this doesn't mean you couldn't, like what happened with uh, when you presented, when the goat presented to you the Spanish walk, doesn't mean you wouldn't have flexibility for that. Of course you would. But you have this whole structure that you know what you're going to do. You've thought in advance about what if this happens or that happens. You have a plan B, which sometimes is difficult to do on the spot. Yes, yes. Oh, that sounds superb. Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy. It's it's become pretty much a habit. I, I wouldn't. I, I don't want to lose that because I wouldn't say it's an established habit because I've been doing it maybe I don't know eight months now, but um, I've been pretty consistent about it and I feel it's making a difference. I'm moving forward more than I was before, especially with three horses, because. I realized that I wasn't keeping track, you know, I was getting confused between the progress of one and the other. I forgot. And the other thing is I forgot what my cues were. Ah, yes. I kept, and some, you know, I have French and English cues and of course, like everybody else, body cues. And I could, and sometimes the horses would do things and I would say, oh, that's right. That was a cue. Yes. And, and then it also... Like, you know, snoodles, I've, I've been 
using it a lot to play Spanish walk. And one day I, I wanted to do some nose targeting or like send my horses to a noodle that was, I put it on something. It was straight up, like whatever that word, a staff or whatever the yeah, word was yeah. before. So they would go and I wanted them to nose target that thing and come back to me. But they would, they would nose target because I clicked it. But very often they would also uh, paw at it. Oh. And of course, because, you know, although it was vertical now, and when we would paw on it, it would be more horizontal. But I thought, mm, yeah, this, this noodle has been a cue for Spanish. Well, I'm going to use something else for nose target for now, just to make sure that things are clear. Because I like the fact that pool noodle means, oh, we're going to play Spanish walk. And I don't want to lose that and make it confused with the no. But I would forget things like that, you know. Whereas now it's, it's much more organized in my notes. Well, I think just the idea that you video and then go back and, and make notes and then adjust your training based on what you've seen, that's such a powerful way to train. Oh, yeah. Video and I, is just amazing. And you can slow it down. Yep. That is also, because there are things, even if you watch five times, when you can slow it down, and now the cameras, you know, you there's so many options for that. Yes. You just bought, you just, you just bought a new camera, haven't you? Or a new phone. I bought a phone because it had a great camera. That's right. Yeah. So, so cameras. Like, and I encounter so often, I encounter from people, oh, I don't want a video. I hate watching myself. And I think. Get over it. Because yeah, that's quick to get over. I mean, after two, three times, you get over that. You really do. And nobody has to, to see, see it. this. So, no. it's, it, I mean, it doesn't matter what you look like. It really doesn't. Because unless you're going to post it on Facebook or something, nobody's ever going to see it. So if, if you look at it and it makes you squirm, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It no. absolutely doesn't matter. <laughs> but what matters is that as you watch it, and as you, and, and particularly as you learn to focus on the training aspect, not on what was I thinking wearing that pink petunia hat on the top of my head when I was working my horses. You know, once you get past that, your eye goes to the training and you stop looking at, oh, you know, I look like the, the proverbial bag lady in my layers of winter clothes. I mean, that's a given. That's an absolute given for me. I'm, I'm out there in the winter. And I've got layers upon layers on. And But you that's not what you're looking at. You're looking at the training interactions. You're looking at the timing. You're looking at your animal's response. And all of that is so useful and so valuable. Oh, yeah. Because... You make all these mental notes when you're training, but there's no way you can remember everything. Right. And you and also it's not just remembering it because sometimes you remember, but it'll take you quite a few minutes to solve it afterwards. Yes. You'll have to think about it. You may have to stand up in your office and start playing you know, with your, your posture and what, how you're going to do things. And so it, it can take maybe five minutes to solve it, which obviously you don't have when your animal is in front of you. And once it's solved, it's solved. Yes. It won't come, it won't come again. Sometimes when you're first videotaping, things are an absolute mess. You think, oh, 
I don't want a record of this. This is terrible. This is awful. I'm tripping over my own two feet. My animal is... is oh, the bad clicks we do. The bad clicks. Uh, you know, I'm getting horrible. My, my, my animal is giving me completely the opposite of what I want. He's leaving. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's doing the other thing. What a mess. But then as you train and you think about, you know, all right, it was a mess. How do I break this down so I can find that behavior that gives me my starting point, that gives me my clean loop? And you begin to sort things through. And then you videotape again and things are looking, oh, this is starting to look like something. This is really cool. And then a little while on, you videotape again and you've made progress. And then you're so grateful. I'm so glad I had that baseline beginning mess because it's it's so clear and it's so dramatic the changes that have occurred mm. so often I will be kicking myself that I didn't videotape that first session when it was just the crude beginning of a behavior and and things were not neat and tidy and now oh this is beginning to come together this is kind of neat Now, my question at this point, because I've been doing it for a while, and I don't tape every session, but most of them I do, is what do I do with all this stuff now? Am I going to start to clean it up? Because I don't know if I'm ever going to go back to those first sessions and look at them because we're past that now. But for now, <coughs> I have kept them, but I'm not sure. You know, well, it, it takes disk space, obviously. Yeah, but, but it, it, hard drives are so inexpensive these days. Yeah. I would keep them. I would move mm -hmm. them onto the hard drive and to an external yeah, hard drive. And then you have them. They're not taking up space on your computer, but you have them. And yeah, you never idea. know. You know, you never know how what you're going to do with them. But if you if you erase them and then you discover that Oh, I'd really like, I'd like to put together a video on the evolution of this behavior. Mm. Uh, you, you can put together a great video of that. Or yeah. just the nostalgia of, you know, being able to go back and look at the horses over a stretch of time. Yeah. So Don't make me cry now. I know. Yeah. But I would definitely not, I, I would not erase them. And course one way that things become erased is as fast as technology moves that you will often find that accessing some of the older files becomes a bit of a, a hurdle but that's another category discussion altogether but mm. I think having the having the the record is a good thing and again you never even if you never go back and look at it It really doesn't matter. It's there mm -hmm. if you need it. And there's always that, you know, if, if you were tracking, for example, Pico with his feet. I think he, you know what? What? You know how he's been tripping for years? Yeah. Years. You're going to tell me he's, he's not tripping as much? He's not tripping at all. Yay! Since we pulled the shoes. Yeah. I'm, I mean... I'm touching wood and, you know, I don't want to jump too quickly. Right, right. You don't want to jinx it. I haven't played with them in, in 10 days now because of my cold. But I, you know, it really surprised me because normally I would have him, 
I would have him uh, get glucosamine shots two times a year. And that would help with the tripping. And normally he would get a shot at this time of year and then another shot in the summer. Or there, there are numerous shots, actually. It's a series of, I don't remember how many, it doesn't matter. But I noticed this the the last few times I worked with him, and I was always very careful not to ask him to do tight turns ever, um, because that would automatically make him trip. I'm still very careful about that. You know, I never ask him for tight turns, but but he hasn't tripped since we pulled the shoes, and I'm amazed. I'm not surprised. Well, I am. I'm. I'm. I'm so delighted. Scared. I'm absolutely delighted, but I'm not surprised. There's a difference. Well, you know, I always thought it was higher in the leg, and who knows if maybe there was the origin was in the in the feet somewhere. I don't know. But it can be higher in the leg, but because of the balance that the foot puts him in, and that the shoe keeps him in, that can affect in a negative way. That goes all the way up through their skeleton. Right. Well, we'll see how it evolves, but it's pretty encouraging yes, right now. Yes, yes. He's doing well, actually. Yeah. So, so that's still... a good reason to keep those that, those videos because... Oh, that's right. Yeah, you know, never mind the behaviors themselves, but you may want to be able to go back and look at you know, how was he moving in the, over oh, last yeah, summer. and then so right. Yeah. Because that, that will be a really interesting record if you can find oh, yeah. sort of the comparables of there he is walking or trotting over this same arena footing and let's look at how he's moving. That's going to be yeah. fascinating. You've convinced me. Yeah. I'm, I'm not erasing anything. You're not erasing anything. I'm going to buy a hard yep. drive. When we, get, when we get done here, you can get online and order an external hard drive. Yep. So. Uh, I'm impressed that we've been able to do this podcast at all with Michael. I, I, it was actually easier than I thought it was yes. going to be. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, should we give your, your throat a, a break? and and? I think so, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, we will do that. And, and I will wish you a very speedy recovery because colds are a great crashing bore. They are, and I miss my horses. Yes, yes. I want to go play with my horses. Yes. Well, take care of yourself and get over this. All right. Thank you, Annette. Right. Bye. Bye. You heard me reference my other podcast in this episode. I started the Horses for Future podcasts in the fall. These Equosity podcasts focus on training and related topics. Horses for Future is looking at what horse people, and really all of us, can do to help mitigate the climate change crisis. The basic premise is horses need land. So horse people collectively are stewards of a lot of acreage. Now, individually, my few acres of land aren't going to make any difference at all. But put all those acres together, and collectively, Horse people can make a difference. In the Horses for Future podcast and Facebook group, we're learning how. So do please listen to the podcast and share it with your friends. You can listen to it at sequestercarbon.com or subscribe to the Horses for Future podcast through your regular podcast provider. 
And while you're there, you can help both the Horses for Future podcast and Equosity by leaving a quick review. Your help is much appreciated. So thank you for listening.